BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes. I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. So we're in Chicago, and on Veterans Day, we honor all the heroes who have selflessly served our country and continue to serve every day. But this Veterans Day in America is also particularly somber in the wake of the tragedy at Fort Hood. It is the deadliest mass shooting on a military base in U.S. history. At Fort Hood, Texas, a 39-year-old Army psychiatrist allegedly walked into a crowded room where soldiers were getting ready for a deployment and opened fire. According to authorities, the gunman, Major Nidal Malik Hassan, fired more than 100 rounds in a shooting rampage that left 13 people dead and 43 people injured. Are there any civilians among the dead or the one civilian and 12 soldiers. Sergeant Kimberly Munley was one of the first civilian police officers to arrive at the base. She is believed to be the first responder who shot the suspect. Through a flurry of bullets, Hassan reportedly ran towards Munley with his guns blazing. She fired on him twice and drew the attention toward her. He immediately spun around and charged her. She fired a couple more rounds, fell to her back, continued to fire. Senior Sergeant Mark Todd joined Munley, and together they shot down Hassan. He was not killed as previously reported. He is currently in custody and in stable condition. Sergeant Munley, a 34-year-old mother of two, suffered bullet wounds to both her legs and her wrist. The first words spoken in recovery, she opened her eyes and um, said, did anybody die? That's what she said, did anybody die? Senior Sergeant Todd escaped injury. Both brave officers are being hailed as heroes for risking their own lives in order to save others. Witnesses to the shooting say that the loss of life would have been much worse had it not been for those two quick-thinking civilian police officers, Sergeant Kimberly Munley and Senior Sergeant Mark Todd. And until today, nobody has heard from the two of them 
They are joining us via satellite from Metroplex Adventist Hospital in Killeen, Texas, for their first interview together. So I think we need to give them both a round of applause. A round of applause for your heroism. We're standing up for you. Thanks, everybody. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Sergeant Munley, I know this is the first time that you've spoken publicly since the shootings. How are you doing physically, emotionally, spiritually? How are you? I'm doing well. Um, every day is, a, is a, a progress for me, and things are getting better day by day. And emotionally, I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping that the rest of the officers and the injured and the families of the deceased are healing as well. Uh, we just heard on tape what the nurse said that you said when you first came out of uh, surgery. Do you remember saying those words? I do. I do. I was very concerned uh, as to who else had been injured as well. Because did you remember at what point, do, do you remember the whole thing? I do. I never lost consciousness. I never lost consciousness and uh, I refused to. I, I wanted to uh, stay awake and know everything that was going on and uh, control my breathing to make sure I was not uh, going to fall into shock and wanted to know everything that was going on because it was pretty chaotic. Senior Sergeant Todd, I understand you both are former military officers, soldiers. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So what were you doing, uh, Sergeant Todd, before this, before you got the call? It was a typical Thursday morning. It was, it was pretty quiet. Um, we had a couple of cases previously to that. I remember an individual had his car scratched and we, we did the paperwork for that, and then we responded to another scene where a soldier threw some eggshells against the wall, and we, we were talking to the unit about that. And I was thinking, back in the old army, we just had the soldier go clean it up, and that would be that. Would be that. And then it was just a typical day. Then we got the call that um, shots fired. And initially in my mind, I was thinking, okay, this is Fort Hood. We have memorial services all the time. If they were practicing the uh, three-round volleys, they do it for the memorial ceremonies, but we have to take everything seriously all the time. So we proceeded there as fast as we can. And then over the radio, they came back, the, the RTO came back that they hear shots fired while they're taking phone calls. So we stepped it up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And as we got there, the, the bystanders were standing by pointing us into the direction. You know, as soon as we pulled up, you know, they're shouting out, he's over there, he's over there. And then we pretty much arrived simultaneously. And then we got out our, our separate vehicles and reacted to what the individual was doing. So, Sergeant Munley, what were you doing when you got the call, shots fired? Um, actually, we were, uh, at the end of our shifts, we, we typically uh, top off our vehicles uh, with fuel and clean them up for the uh, oncoming shift to uh, take our vehicles and 
I was actually washing my patrol car at the time that the call came in. And so when you arrived, was there a moment of confusion or uncertainty? Yes, the entire incident was, uh, was very confusing and chaotic. Uh, there was many people uh, outside pointing into the direction that this individual was, uh, was apparently located. And um, as soon as I got out of my vehicle and ran up the hill is, uh, is when things started getting pretty bad and we started encountering fire. I had heard reports that the bullet grazed your head. Uh, no, ma'am. Actually, the first round that I, I took was um, uh, on my knuckle of my right hand. Mm. Um, uh, I did not get a graze to the head, no, ma'am. You did not. Sergeant Munley, do you remember getting shot? Uh, yes, ma'am, I do. I remember uh, uh, pretty vividly. What does it feel like? Not like uh, people kind of describe on the movies or how the reactions are on the movies. It's uh, when I got shot, it felt like, honestly, a, a muscle being torn out of my leg at the time. Painful, painful. Yes, yes, ma'am, it was painful. Yeah, because I've heard uh, a lot of people say they don't feel it until till, till afterwards. First of all, how big are you? We've heard 5'2". I was just saying to the audience, you look like 100 pounds, but I've never been 100 pounds, so I don't know what that is. So... <laughs> Uh, what? I'm 5'2", 100, 125 pounds. Oh, that's so. what 125 looks like. Okay. <laughs> that's great. I hear they call you, they call you Mighty Mouse. They call you Mighty Mouse. Why? Uh, yeah, I, I got that nickname from uh, my old department from Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. Um, uh -huh. One of my old partners, Sean Appler, was in an incident where I had to back him up and uh, he had an uh, individual that was uh, trying to, to wrestle him for his ended up being for his weapon, and uh, luckily I was able to uh, prevent that from happening. And Sean happened to uh, assign me a, a, <laughs> a nickname that stuck with me throughout the years. Mighty Mouse. Yes, Mighty Mouse. Petite and powerful. <laughs> we saw and have heard that you have two children. How old are your children? My youngest one will be three in February. My oldest one will be 13 in January. Oh. So they know you're heroes, too, now. They know that you're a hero. Yes. Yeah. Well... <laughs> They, uh, my youngest one is a little bit unaware of what's going on, but my oldest one thinks it's uh, quite funny every time she turns the TV on, her mother's on TV. <laughs> That's great. Her mighty mother. Sergeant Todd, I hear you got the gun away from the alleged shooter. How were you able to do that? Yes, um, I just relied back up to my training, and during the incident, while he was firing at me, I had my instructor, Doug West, in my ear, just telling me, Mark, calm down, relax, breathe, shoot. And then as I kept shooting, we're trained to shoot until there's no longer a threat. And once he was laying down on his back, his weapon just fell into his hand. I'm like, okay, now's the time to, to rush him and secure him. So I ran up and I kicked his weapon away. And then we, we placed him in handcuffs. And then we started the, after uh, searching for any other um, um, weapons or, and everything, uh, we started the life-saving measures on him. Because now that he's in custody, he belongs to us. So we have to... Mm -hmm. maintain his life. You know, even though he was trying to shoot at us just a few seconds earlier, he's, he's safe now, and we have to keep him safe, try to keep him alive. Is it true that this was the first time you'd ever had to use your weapon? I'd read that someplace. Yes, it is. Um, 25 years in law enforcement and prior military. All of the time, I, I've been really fortunate not to have to pull my weapon before, and it just... Once it happened, uh, I relied on my training. I'm like, okay, this is happening, okay, this, mm -hmm. you've been trained to do this, react. 
react. What you need to do. So what was going through your mind, uh, Sergeant Munley? Some of the same things going through your mind about firing, shooting, or do you have time to think in that moment? Or are you just reacting in that moment? Or, or does all of your training take over in that moment? I would have to say the training does take over. Uh, in that particular incident, we didn't have too much time to think. Therefore, um, we get so much intensive training, which is, uh, we're very fortunate that it becomes second nature and kind of reflexive uh, for us to react, whether it be uh, in a training environment or in a real life situation like this. Have you had a chance yet to absorb and to process all that has happened? First of all, being there, being the person to do the, the, the fire the first shot, being now considered a hero all over the world, having to be a mom that's gonna have to go back home and take care of your children. Have you had a chance to process all of this? Uh, I take it day by day, and I know it's gonna be a, uh, a slow process to, to get back to my normal life, but I know it, that I can uh, accomplish it and, and get back to, to what I do and love to do on a daily basis, so I think that uh, it'll come in time. And I asked the same thing of you, Sergeant Todd, although you weren't physically injured. What did it feel like to be able to walk home to your family at the end of the day? That, that's exactly it. We have to do, we're trained to do whatever we need to do so we can walk home at the end of the day and you know, hug our families and just be normal people. What, what happens on the road, you know, as police officers, we, we typically see people on their worst day, mm -hmm. on, a day on a daily basis. A lot of time is good, a lot of times it's bad. I, I just feel, I thank God that he missed me. Uh, I don't know how he missed me. Mm -hmm. As close as we were together, um, I checked him, like, I don't have any holes in me. I'm like, okay, this is a good thing. And while, while the incident was happening, or directly after it, I, I sent my wife a text and my sister a text, okay, shooting at Fort Hood, I'm okay, I'll call when I can. So let them know that, you know, I'm still alive, everything's still fine, and I can come home, and they were happy to see me. I believe it. Well, thank you, Sergeants Munley and Todd. I have to say, uh, I think I speak for the entire country. You make us really proud. Thank you so much for talking to us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hero Sergeant Munley just said it well when she said that she's going to try to take it day by day and try to get back into her, her normal life. When the news moves on and the headlines fade away, we all get to go back to our lives. But for the people at the heart of these stories, the painful process of picking up the pieces just actually begins, as Sergeant Munley said. And that is true for the devastated families of the Fort Hood victims and also for another special woman that I met yesterday and I want you to meet. It began nine months ago with this 911 call 
heard around the world. Listen, as Sandra Harold frantically tells police that her pet chimpanzee is viciously attacking her friend and employee. Stand for 911. Send the police! Oh, what's the problem? The chip killed my, my friend! Oh, please! He ripped her face off! He ripped her face off? Please, he killed her. <laughs> why? Why are you saying that she's dead? She's dead. He ripped her apart. He ripped what apart? Her face? Everything. Oh, he ripped her apart. Listen, she's dead. She's dead. But the woman was not dead. Miraculously, she survived just the unimaginable. Her name is Charla Nash. This is a photograph of Charla Nash taken two years ago at a local county fair. A lifelong animal lover, in her younger years, Charla was a rodeo cowgirl. The rough-and-tumble cowboys affectionately nicknamed her Charlie. She left home when she was just 17 and met Sandra Harold at a horse auction a few years later. They were friends for more than 30 years, when in 2004, Charla, now a single mom, moved with her teenage daughter Brianna to Stamford, Connecticut. There, Charla worked for the tow truck business, which Sandra operated from her home. She also sometimes helped care for Sandra's pet chimpanzee, Travis. Charla had known Travis the chimp for 10 years, but says she always feared him. Last February, according to news reports, Charla got a call from her friend and employer, Sandra. Travis the chimp had escaped from his cage, and Sandra needed help getting the chimp back inside. So she called Charla. Charla got into her car, drove to Sandra's, and stepped into a nightmare. When Charla arrived on the rural property, the 14-year-old, 200-pound chimpanzee savagely attacked her. Frantic, Sandra Harold called 911. Please hurry up! He's killing my girlfriend! Who's killing your friend? Dead, my chimpanzee! Oh, your chimpanzee Please. is killing your friend. Yes. As first responders raced to Charla's aid, the 911 call became increasingly chilling. He eat her. Please, God, no, please. They gotta have their guns out. Please have them, please. When police arrived, Travis went after an officer who used his gun to kill the wild ape. Emergency workers, including Rick Istavan and Andrea Repko, arrived to a scene of bloody horror. As we were being led to the, where the patient was, I saw some fingers, there was some teeth, there was blood trails up to where the patient was laying down. We didn't really see the injury until we rolled her over. Uh, her facial structure was completely gone. When I saw her hands, I would never have imagined that an animal could have done that. They honestly look like they went through a meat grinder. Still conscious, Charla was rushed to Stanford Hospital where a trauma team led by Dr. Kevin Miller was waiting. After we removed the bandages, we just saw the monkey had ripped off her entire upper jaw, had ripped off her nose, which was just hanging on by a thread. We found extensive dirt, chimpanzee hair, and several chimpanzee teeth implanted in the bone. I couldn't believe that this woman was awake and conscious when she came in. Against all odds, Charla survived that brutal attack. For the last nine months, she's endured the grueling daily journey back from near death. I went to Ohio yesterday to the Cleveland Clinic to meet Charla. 
on a very special day. Well, first of all, let me say happy birthday <laughs> to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Charla. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. It's number 56 for you. Did you think during this past year that you might not make it to this day? Today, Charla is living in a hospital room at the Cleveland Clinic. Her days began at 6 in the morning. Good morning, Miss Nash. How are you doing this morning? When a doctor and nurse change and clean the bandages that wrap her head, which protect a large area of her scalp that is missing. Here we go, just wrapping you up now. Tucking it behind your ears. After that attack, doctors were able to rebuild Charla's tongue and create a small hole which allows her to eat and drink through a straw. Is that enough? Every day, Charla puts on this hat and scarf and takes a walk around the hospital halls. She says it's the small comfort of feeling the sun through the windows that she often enjoys most. Her 17-year-old daughter, Brianna, a senior in high school, visits whenever possible clearly craving her mother's comfort. It is these tender moments with her family Charla cherishes the most. As we just saw, Charla almost always covers her face with the hat and scarf. She wears it, she says, because she doesn't want to scare people. And she also knows that the tabloids would pay a lot of money for a picture of her face. In fact, when I visited her yesterday at the Cleveland Clinic, I learned that a guard has been posted outside her door all this time to protect her privacy and to stop anyone who might try to photograph her. No cell phones or cameras are allowed in her room. Charla will reveal her face to you on her terms. That is what she said she wanted to do and the reason she wanted the Oprah show there and trusted us to do this in a way that she could have respect and dignity. So she will do that later in the show on her own terms. But when we began our conversation, she was wearing her veiled hat. Well, thank you for consenting to do this interview with, with me. Tell me why you wanted to do the interview now. Well, I'm getting stronger and healthier. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd like to put across the people's minds that these exotic animals are very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And they should be around. Mm -hmm. they, there's a place for them that it's not in residential areas, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Tell me, can you take me back to the date of uh, February 16th? What do you remember of that day? I don't remember anything. And they told the doctor that I don't want to remember because mm -hmm. I could imagine what it was like. And uh, they told me that if I do start remembering or getting flashbacks, they have medicine that'll help me with that. Because you don't want to remember? I don't want to. I don't, I want to get healthy. Mm -hmm. I don't want to wake up with nightmares. Mm -hmm. About that day? Yeah. So you don't remember getting the call, don't remember getting out of the car, <coughs> don't remembering the, the don't remember anything about the chimp attacking you at all? No, I really remember it was a colder winter. We were getting a little more snow. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the, the chimp, Travis, at all? Do you remember having 
fed him or being around him prior to this incident? Yes, I do remember going to do his a couple times. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. he was digging scary. Mm -hmm. He was scary? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was huge. Mm -hmm. So was it your job to help take care of him because this was your boss? No, uh, it was her pet that she wanted or could tell you that. And she had to rush out a few times or couldn't come home that night. There's only a few times I settled. So you were familiar with him. Were you afraid of him? Yeah, always. Always afraid of him? Yeah. So you'd never seen him out of the cage? Only two times when he was really little. Mm -hmm. One time he was running around the yard and swinging off the trees of the house, and he jumped on my back and he pulled a big hunk of hair out of my head. Mm -hmm. And I had tears in my eyes, and she was laughing, and I told her it hurts. And uh, the one other time was, was before that, he was smaller yet. And my daughter and I went down to see her at her shop. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew she had the chit. And he was literally drinking from the bottle. Mm. So when you awakened in the hospital and they had to tell you what had happened to you, what did you think? I don't think I kept grasping what they were saying. Mm -hmm. And once you realized, when you fully came to understand what had happened to you, because did they explain to you that you had been in this horrifying experience where Travis had tried to certainly kill you, some people say even tried to eat you, were you able to comprehend that at all? I don't really know when I understood all of that because I don't ask a whole lot about all my injuries. Mm -hmm. But I guess somewhere along the line that they told me, you know, Travis had attacked me and I, I could figure that out for myself how dangerous he was. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned that you don't um, think a lot about your injuries. Are you aware of the extent of your injuries? The, all the way, because mm -hmm. it's like less for me to worry about if I don't know. Mm -hmm. But you're aware, obviously, that you don't have the use of your hands. As I understand, when the paramedics arrived on the scene, your hands, they say, look like they had been through a shredder, and they were able to reattach your thumb to your, to your right hand. Is it true that you just realized, first of all, you woke up and you weren't able to see? That must have been horrifying for you. Well, I do remember I kept saying that, well, one of these days I'm going to see, and then the doctor would say, no, you're never going to see again. And I'm like, well, I don't know. They don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. But the eye doctor came in a couple weeks ago and said that it's a shame they had to remove my eyes, and that's mm -hmm. when I really knew my eyes were not there. And I said, no wonder why they said I'd never see. Because you don't have eyes. No. But you didn't realize that you didn't have eyes. No, because I don't ask. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about or considered what your face looks like? I don't touch it too much, but I kind of feel like, I know I, I had my forehead, and I think I, it feels like just 
patches of tape or gauze or covering, covering my face. Are you in pain? No. You're in no pain? No pain. No pain. So why do you wear the veil? So I don't scare people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes other people might insult me. So I figured maybe it's easier. I just walk around covered up. Covered up. Mm -hmm. Would you mind lifting the veil? Oh, that's all. So, so we can see? Yesterday, when I met Charla at the Cleveland Clinic, she told me that she is ready and wants to now show her face to the world because she understands there's a bounty on the picture. But she wanted to do this on her own terms and not in a tabloid photograph. So you are about to see Charla take off her veiled hat. And I want you to be mindful that her injuries are extremely, extremely severe. I've never seen anything like this in my, in my life or experience working in news or working with burn victims uh, or seeing burn victims on the show. It, is, uh, it really is nothing you can prepare for. But as you will soon find out, looking at Charla is very different from really seeing Charla. You could take the hat off. Oh, the hat comes off. Yep. Okay, okay. All right, all right. So the veil is lifted. You know, many people around the world want to get a picture of you. You're aware of that, right? I had, did hear that there are a lot of reporters at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wanted to get a picture of you. And you are also probably aware that once we do this interview and this, your picture is shown now. That's right. Throughout the world, that your picture is going to be broadcast all over the world. Uh-huh. That's right. And that's fine. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to get stronger and mm -hmm. ready for everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I will tell you that it is pretty shocking when you take the veil off and you see the, the devastation and destruction that has occurred to your face. It's, it's really pretty shocking. When other people see it, I'm, I'm not quite sure what their reactions are, but does that bother you? No, because people are going to say what they're going to say anyway. Mm -hmm. I need to move forward to get better and stronger. Mm -hmm. When you think about what you used to look like and what your life used to be like, do you feel like the same person? Yeah, I feel like I'm still me. Mm -hmm. I just, sorry I can't spend more time like with my daughter. Mm -hmm. I know she misses me. Mm -hmm. I miss her too. Yeah, <laughs> your daughter who is going to be going to college soon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does your face feel like? Because you have this um, this bulbous, uh, like I understand that it, that part of your leg was grafted to create a nose for yourself. So does that feel like it's hard to breathe or? I can't breathe through the nose. Yeah, you can't breathe. No. No. And they, as I understand it, were able to create a mouth. Oh, yeah. What do you now look forward to for your life? As I understand it, for the clinic, I'm not a candidate for hands transplant because I had no eyesight. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping somewhere along the line I'll be evaluated mm -hmm. and that maybe when I get a face transplant, the hand transplant will be doing it because they have to be done at the same time for the same donor. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Is there any part of you that is angry about what happened? No, I don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's no time for that anyway because I need to heal, mm -hmm. you know, not, not look backwards. Do you feel sorry for yourself? Is it, is it hard to get out of bed some days? Yeah, I, if I don't feel good, I still push myself to walk during the day. Mm -hmm. yeah. You still push yourself to walk every day? He says I don't feel good. Even if you don't feel good? Uh-huh. All right, then. Then I have no excuse, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have no excuse ever again. <laughs> Tell me this, do you remember the first time you were able to be with your daughter, Brianna, after the attack? What was that visit like? I kind of remember saying Happy Mother's Day, but it was like saying in and out. She's a senior in high school living with friends yeah. as she completes her senior year as you go through this process here. What is it that you miss the most about being away from her this senior year? Her trauma is coming up, mm -hmm. and uh, I can't take out her gown, so I can only hope mm -hmm. that she takes out something appropriate to wear. <laughs> She's okay, how kids are. And then she has a good time there. Mm -hmm. What do you and Brianna do when she comes to visit? She gets in bed with me. She gets in bed? <laughs> yeah, we lay next to each other, we hold each other, and, and we talk about things that she does with school, your mm -hmm. friends. So you're looking forward to her going to college? Yeah, I yeah. want her to have the best. I always wanted everything good for her. Everything good for your daughter? Yep. Mm -hmm. All mothers do. All, yeah. good mo all good mothers do. Yeah. All good mothers do. Tell me, um, what have you learned, if anything, about yourself through, through this experience? I've always known that I did strong. Mm -hmm. Before, I was always really independent, wanted to be alone. The one thing I noticed now is I don't, I want to be independent, but I don't want to be alone anymore. It's scary. Uh, I don't want to be out somewhere and. And somebody's stuck with me, and I don't know it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get on a wrong bus somewhere or lost in a store. It's just not the same. Mm -hmm. Did you always have this kind of resolve and this kind of resilient spirit? Oh, yeah. If I couldn't do anything, I just took my time, took her breath, and then tried it again mm -hmm. <laughs> until I got it done. Was there any part of you during this ordeal that thought about giving up. Yeah, I think a little bit in the beginning, I was like unhappy. Mm -hmm. And uh, my brothers made it easy. I mean, they realized how much I needed them. Mm. So I understand that you also want to be able to gain some level of independence. Yeah, I wanted, I don't want to drag them all day long around with they but <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I do want to be able to do something by myself. You have to eat everything through a straw? Yes, I eat through a straw right now. Will, will that always be the case? Hopefully not. Eventually your goal would be to be able to eat real food? Yeah, like a hot dog or a pizza pizza. <laughs> that would be nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, this way you keep your weight down, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Were you ever vain? I mean, were you the kind of woman who spent a lot of time in front of the mirror, making up and getting your hair colored? And... No, everybody knew me. I was like a dog lady. 
I'd wear like the, yeah, my snowsuit, my winter coat, and my ski hat on my head. Mm -hmm. so, but did you ever like dressing up and putting on makeup? Oh, and... yeah, every once in a while I'd get dressed up, and nobody knew it was me. <laughs> they were like, who's that? Mm -hmm. What's very interesting to me, being able to sit here this close to you and you know feel the spirit of you, the, the, the heart of you, after a while, I get accustomed to looking at your face, but I'm sure many people who are watching us right now can't imagine wanting to go through life if their face was so disfigured and distorted. So does it not matter to you what other people think about how you now look? I'm the one that has to live like this, not the other, mm -hmm. you know, so it doesn't matter mm -hmm. what they say. When something like this happens to you that really changes your life forever, does it shift what you think or feel is important? Well, I know before I was always busy working, I didn't have a lot of time to stop. and uh, But I would like sometimes to go drive to my daughter's house or something, but I'm going to have more time now. <laughs> going to have more time now. There will be a time, hopefully, in the near future where you'll be released from the hospital and you'll be able to move out into the world and live somewhat independently, never alone, as you said. And there will be people who will see you on the street or getting out of a car or in a mall or wherever, and they won't know quite what to do or, or say or how to react. What do you want to say to those people? Well, I'm the same person I've always been. I just look different, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And there's, you know, things that happen in life that, you know, you, you can't change it. It's, you know, it's a tragedy. Mm -hmm. Things happen. Well, God bless you, and happy birthday. Thank you so ha much. Happy birthday. It was nice. Nice, nice, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. There's that one thumb. Yeah. Holding on to that one thumb. It's great. A little piece of the... <laughs> A little piece of you. The Nash family is suing Sandra Harold for $50 million. We asked Sandra Harold for a comment, and her attorney provided this statement, saying, all of Sandy's hopes and prayers are with Charla and her daughter in this challenging time. Sandy has always tried to help Charla and wishes her the best. When Charla lost her job, it was Sandy who provided her with employment and a place to live. Sandy hopes and prays for a full and speedy recovery. Charla told me that she'd be listening to our show today from her hospital room. So, Charla, we're thanking you for uh, sharing your story with us and for showing your face to the world on your own terms. Uh, a lot of our audience members here were concerned about who's keeping her daughter. Uh, it is my understanding that Charlotte's daughter, Brianna, is living with friends in their, their uh, town of Connecticut, Stanford, Connecticut, while she uh, finishes her senior year in school. And as I said at the beginning of this tape, uh, it is really shocking when you, see, when you first look at her face, but after you sit with her, 
you begin to feel the power of her humanity, which is the same humanity that all of us have, and you begin to see her for the woman and the, the mother and the compassionate, kind, caring person that she is. So as I said to you yesterday, Sharla, as I was leaving, thank you for sharing your grace with me and with our audience. It was an honor to meet you and talk to you. Bye, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.